Doot, 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 people of the night. Welcome to FME Attention Undivided. Uh, we have riveting conversations with some of the most important people in music. Uh, and holy smokes, I'm very happy to have Curly Castro of the Wrecking Crew. Uh, what up? How many months ago was it? I don't know time. Where we sat here... Talked Did about kill a priest? Talked about Haram. That was uh summertime, right? Summer. I'm because the best thing I can do is seasons at this point. Like sometimes I'm losing time. I don't even know what day it is. I have to ask my girl what day it is. Sometimes I've totally lost it. So I feel like that was in the summertime. Me, you, and Sharif. And it's 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 incredible where things have gone since then. Um, True that. For for everybody, really, but it's. I'm I'm so excited to talk to you. This is my, my you're releasing an album called Little Robert Hutton. Yes. Uh, on Backwoods and you know shout out to we we had a we we brought PQ on State of the Game. Talked to him about great cover art. Oh. He cleared the deck and was like let's talk Rhyme Puma. And we Okay. Hell yeah. Rhyme Puma segment. Uh because with the pyramids and the, I mean, Ryan Puma has done so Some much incredible stuff. Yeah. Oh, like the, the latest one I'm vibing off is now that um, the underwater pyramid stuff, because that's it looks it looks underwater like you can't even like, you know, and that's and that's a color gradient he's doing because he's doing the picture. But then, you know, he's giving you that scene to make you like, all right, this thing needs to look underwater and I don't need to put a bunch of bubbles to make you feel that either. And these and these. um. Dan, these are paintings. I have one here. I have the Griff Company, um, uh, no snow, uh, too many secrets. It's like this big. Right. Okay, I'll bring it. Yeah. I, before, just remind me, I'll show it to you. I'll pull it in the thing. It's huge. We, we had the whole, we went through this whole kerfuffle day to get a ship. So he, he gets busy. Yeah, Definitely. no, my, my first book was done by a real artist who I really respected. And I have that framed, uh, you know, if you get really great art, you get to just enjoy it for the rest of your life. Um, and he's, he's touched and chosen because, you know, artwork can go through many revisions. Mm -hmm. But when you give Puma an assignment, he can do a couple of things as he's sketching it, but there's not much that you want him to change once he, once he finds his, uh, his path. It's not like, you know, sometimes with artwork technically, oh, I don't like the way my nose, especially drawing my nose off or the text is here. Let's, you know, there's a lot of it, but with, Puma, his instincts are always gold. Like I ask him to do something, he doesn't. I rarely find myself like, "All right, can you change that?" And sometimes, and this is just being an artist working with visual artists, there's an obligation. So sometimes you get somebody to work hard on something, and you'll bite the bullet, even if you're a perfectionist. You'll bite it and be like, "Oh, this is dope," but there might be one little thing that you don't want to insult the person you're working with, and it could just be, it could be the most innocuous thing I, I can see. My, my pinky's pointed out or my thumb's not like those yeah. little things. But sometimes when the work is good, you can accept those. And then sometimes I've had art projects back and forth, forth and back. It's like an Aaliyah song. Yep. No, it's serious. Yeah. Serious talk. So and, and that's a that's a process too, because now you're like trying to get to a goal. Like, all right. Mm -hmm. All right. So you know, this is not magic. It's not public enemies planet hanging outside the earth. All right, how can we get you know what I'm saying? To the mutual goal. And, and we're like negotiating that, so. now to like, you know, the Ben Simmons trade that's good enough, you know? Right, exactly. Sometimes yeah. artwork can be that. Like you're just trying to have a compromise. Yes. But yeah, even like to your point, like 
the Ebenezer Maxwell cover is successful. It's girl, like, like, and I'm, and not even the girl. He got, she got the fatty. I'm, I'm loving how he has. Is that him, low? That's him, right? Yeah, him that's low, him. Right? Yeah, yep. and, and, and the and the fur and the everything that's round him. Scott, with the, he yes, oh. with the um, and I think he had a growler. I'm not sure what kind of glass he had, but all that, all those, the things that work with Pumas, the little, the little details. The thing he did with Wino Willie with the sunrise picture. Next yes. to the pyramid, next to that starburst in that nice blue. I remember, I love all this stuff, but he did, um, he did, uh, I think it was, um, it's not him low. So it, that means it was clever one is um, drunken perverted. That one, I think. Yep. With the, um, with the drunken monkey dude, but he had the two, the two glocks, the two nine millimeters. Yes. Yes. I think with, I the, with the, with the, with the, with the, um, the flask of liquor around. I said, yo, I called him. I said, yo, this is incredible. Like this just. Looks like you. It just you pulled it out your brain. Not it doesn't look like you used a uh, picture to model. It doesn't look like you watched the movie and paused it and took an iconic scene. And, you know, it definitely has his touch to it. So even when you ask him to lay homage, like uh, I love Prince Akeem Jules. We he it looks like Eddie Murphy with the with the flower girls next to him. You're like, oh. you know what I'm saying? But yeah, uh, right. I can I can be very effusive about Puma. He's worth no, every penny. He's he's, he's right. a great guy. Yeah, work. He, uh, he raps too. He raps too. The instincts, right? The instincts. Everything is conceptual. Everything is really makes sense uh, and tells a story. It's it's really something. Um, but to get to it, little Robert Hutton. Everybody's been saying how great it is. There's been a bubbling about it. I'm here to say definitively. Like every year has like a concept album that steers everything. Uh, and this is it. Little Robert Hunt is it. Thank you. Thank this you, son. The concept album uh, of the year. Uh, Appreciate that. I want, I want to hear what Nate LeBlanc says about it. Because Nate LeBlanc had, a, we talked you know, last year and he said, I don't want a loose concept album. I don't want like an umbrella thrown over a collection of songs. I want it tight. Like what he said, uh, you know, if you tell me it's a book of human language, I want a book of human language. Indeed. Sometimes it's, it's pretty literal. Sometimes you get the, the ultra umbrella R, where like the first song and the second song and a sample in the middle, and that's it. I like to, um, then I like to blur the line a little bit. Like it is a concept record, and I did want to pay homage to little Bobby, but I didn't want to be preachy, and I didn't want to be so obvious. So like, right. there's the little Bobby song, and the little, and the Huey, Huey P. Newton song and the Elders and all the Black Panther stuff that you cursorily know just from news and stuff. I didn't want to do that. I doubt right. that was the Bobby Seal song. Like that stuff is kind of, um, it's tacky because right. the same nuances they took when they wrote and they protested and they were, visual, they were verbal. You should take that same nuance when you're honoring them. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't just take the shortcut. Like the shortcut, to be honest, if you know, if you know your Black Panther history, it's like to read. I found like, so check this. I found this one book. I used to do projects on the Black Panther Party in college. So I did two major projects. I'm talking about, I still have the um, the overhead film, the transparencies that you put on overheads. Nice. So it was this one book I found, right? And it was disgustingly inaccurate. It was so lazy because what their book had did was it took Bobby Seale out of his place in the story and put Eldridge Cleaver in there. Uh, oh. Huey P. Newton met Eldridge Cleaver. And, and I'm like, wait a minute. And you're reading, you're thinking, is this? I'm flipping those. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I, what's going on here? And I lit and I see, I said, oh, they just took Bobby out and put Eldridge. And 
how how incorrect could that be? Like, you know what I'm saying? That's totally dishonoring of the history. You don't want to be accurate. I mean, that's just, that's supremely late. And it's a book, meaning it has a binder. And it went to a publisher of some sort and they printed multiple copies of it. So um, I say that to say that um, I hold all of those ancestors in high reverence. And I didn't want to do anything tacky. I just, that's my main thing. Like you can, there's a tacky representation. I'm doing an album on Frankenstein. The first song is Doctor. And the next song is Frankenstein. And then maybe the third song is Mary. And then the fourth song is Shelley. Like, you got to give your, your listeners more credit for their intelligence. I always want to credit my listeners to having intelligence to be able to grasp what I'm, what I'm, um, what I'm showing. The, uh, so I want to follow up that point, And then I want to give you a funny Eldridge Cleaver story from my family. <laughs> yes. uh, so, which I don't know how many people are going to hit you with funny Eldridge Cleaver stories, but I'm here. Pretty I'm pretty sure I'll get a look up. So oh, the, the, first to follow your point, the it's tacky now. And we respect the albums before that were tacky. They taught us how to not be tacky. Like death comes to mind, right? Death okay. the life side and the death side and the alive on arrival transition. Uh, and we needed that. We needed that because we, you know, the form was developing. We needed someone to kind of teach us how a concept album worked. You know. Uh, yep. Exactly. No. Exactly. But exactly. now, now there's no reason to duplicate that. Now you build on top of, uh, or you leave it alone. So, my my parents, my dad's from Oakland. My mom us uh, from like the Bay Area. Okay. And so it was weird living in Maine with, with this kind of Bay Area experiences. Uh, and, and my mom, whenever we would bring up Eldridge Cleaver, she'd be like, him and his cod pieces. <laughs> she thought of him as like a tacky person because like he apparently had a fashion line at some point. Yeah, he is. <laughs> there were cod pieces. There were a lot of cod pieces. The same way a snake sheds their skin after a certain time after it dries out. That's perfect with Eldridge. He just, you know, he put on a skin to fit in the mode and the company he was in. Because when he was with the Panthers, he was all about the Panthers until they got, you know, cornered. And he's like, I'm all about escape. And he's in Algiers. Now I'm all about this. Now he comes back to America. All I'm all about being a Republican. Like, hey, whatever's going to keep me dust free and, 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 and the least amount of blood leaving my body, I'll go with that. So it's interesting because he was he was. He's a, he's a staple within the movement, but it's funny that if, hey, what if Republicans grab, grabbed him? What if, what if Hoover got him and turned him? That would have been an easy sell. Now, how much destruction could that have been? So, you know what I'm saying? So one of those guys that I think was, he was, he was game for anything. I wouldn't trust him as far as I could see him. Like, you come in the room, that's as far as stay right there. And, and it's unfortunate because Soul on Ice is a great tome. Like, it's just great to have as a book in a library. But there's some troubling things in there, the raping of the white women, you know, all of that. But as far as Eldridge, his, his contribution to me, because I feel like he's somewhat responsible for Bobby catching all those bullets, he was there, mm-hmm. is Solo Nice. Like, I think that's his thing. That was yeah. what he was here for. He wasn't here to uplift the party because he really didn't do that. He was there to show you. I also think Eldridge was a person that when you somebody tells you who they are, listen. And I'm pretty sure he showed some people little glimpses of, hey, this is how I really am. Because, you know, he left his wife. His wife was here. Straight when up. he bounced to Al Jazz. Like, what's yep. going on? So anyway, I always bring him up because it's, it's a funny story, but he needs to be vilified properly because people will, like I told you, that mis- mishandled book, they will group him in to the core people because those are the names that rank. 
right now. Right. No, there's always people who like like the excitement of a movement. Yes. They're not, they're not there for it like that. They're not like, like I'm the kind of dude where it's like nothing's going to happen to you now. Like we're here. If it happens, yeah. you do. And like, I don't know why. No one taught me that. Like that's just the way it is. But that wasn't in him. You know what I mean? That wasn't in him at all. Uh, but it's man, the, it, this album is so great. Um, I, I am the kind of person who like stares deeply into an album and finds all kinds of shit. Appreciate this that. Album, this is an album that stares back into me, um, mm. and uh, it was it was a lot of fun uh, because these are like arguments I've been having my whole life with people um, oh. because I've always been pro Panther. I've always really enjoyed the Panthers and been fascinated by it, partially because my dad saw them and like right so you have the connection of your dad was around in that era in, yeah. the, in the flesh in the vicinity so you would have a different um dissemination of that information to let's just say a regular white family that lived in um sacramento so n- right. not so much not so close but you hear whispers and i and i think back then there's a defining line between white folks like yourself and your family that were there and white folks that lived a little distance where they're hearing telephone games and a story of a story. Um, Like the Selma thing was very powerful because it was on TV and everybody's like, oh, like rather that whether that was naive on anybody's part or not, but to see that live and direct on TV and Brokaw, I think Brokaw was alive. He's like, oh, you know what I mean? Like people's reactions. So definitely I I appreciate um, your life, your um, your life experience to give you that perspective because that's that's special. When I started reading it, when I started reading about them, and then I went to him like, man, did you ever encounter this? He's like, the Panthers were, were everywhere when I was a kid, and I've never seen anybody as powerful. Thank you. Since then. Since then. Yep. And, 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 it, and it shows you that Hoover had, had deliberation. He knew what he was doing. Because how the Panthers were spreading the grassroots. When people say grassroots movement, the power in it is you could plant a seed anywhere. There's soil everywhere. And, and, and when the government has an inability to hold the line at like the Mason-Dixon or in the Northeast, and it's like, it's in Portland and in Maine? Wait a minute. No, that's, the distance is, that means all, the, all, all parties in between might get infected. It's the same way that they fight communism. And, um, and now, I, now, I don't even gonna say liberalism, but the same way they, they would attack communism. Hey, they got this territory. And then 800 miles here, they got this territory. What's in between? We need to figure this out. We need to stop this bleeding or whatever. And I think that's what Hoover was was out. He was like, I'm not. I'm gonna stop this Black Panther bleeding into all of these communities because they could have they could have united the nation. They had a platform. Everything was in line. But again, I don't want to just super Panther it out because that's not the whole record. But definitely no, is, but I mean, is the bloodline of the record. What what the I think the benefit of listening to Little Robert Hutton for people who like aren't as keyed in to that piece of history, you know, is, uh, and this, maybe this is a question, maybe not, uh, but the, the, my biggest problem with discussing the Panthers with people uh, here, white people, has been, um, they act like it's a debate. Like there was a debate from one side of the aisle to the so other. So yeah, exactly, rather than like, a, a conversation. Those yeah. fellas were unreasonable. Right. Right. And start start with the start with, well, 
Yes. And so, like, the, 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 the thing that your album conveys so well is the complete lack of safety that they lived under. Yes. Right? That they were hunting. Yes. Uh, and, you know, if you read, like, Tom Wolfe's uh, Radical Chic thing, they were also fetishized while they were being hunted. Right? Yes. How about that? How about that? Double, that Like, to me, that's like the ultimate DP, if you want double penetration, because it's like... Yep. You hate what you love. You hate what you love. You want to um, take the little pieces that make you feel good about it or intriguing or like um, mysterious, whether that be the cloth, the clothing, the speech, the mannerisms, but not enough. Like, um, you know, and I'll say this, th- th- this phrase always works. Everybody want to be a nigga until, it, until it's time to be a nigga. And so you want to take the good gushy parts, but you don't really want to stand for anything. And so like, you know, I have, I have white friends. I have a lot of black friends. I have black power friends. And I understand the complexities of everybody's position. Allyship is tough. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a lot of um, self-reflection going on. There's a lot of talking about your kinfolk in a certain way and trying to convince them and bring them over. And I get that. That's, that's pretty difficult. We go through the same thing. There's a lot of um, black folks that are very hard line. You got to talk to them about, you know, certain things. But I say that to say this, that um, anybody that knows me knows I'm black power to the bone. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that I have so many white compatriots, people, you know, they'll ask me questions. I, I, I feel to those questions, you know, and um, I just, I have a defining eye and I, I pick my friends wisely. That's all I can say. Um, if anybody knows me, I'm thorough. I'll pick my friends wisely. I've been through a lot of <laughs> male divorces as people that they don't understand they work on this stuff like we get divorced like men get divorced and sometimes it's as ugly as you hear yep. celebrity divorces um so um anyway you know you pick your friends wisely and you move on from there but you hope that your intelligence and your experience and awareness can bleed into them so they can have an understanding and vice versa right but i mean you've been at it for a long time i was recently i was looking up like best mixtapes i don't know was two, i don't know what year like it was 2012 you talking about wu-tang folk yeah it was on yeah it was like right it was a while ago it was not no it's not 2012 i don't even know like that was it was seven years before yeah, it could have been 2011 yeah Ooh, it was a while that's wow i mean so that's you've been doing it uh for a long time seen a lot um so and and this is the interesting thing to talk like crew dynamics for a while it's probably people looking at this from afar saying like, you know, you guys must have organized how different all these albums are like human zoo to Vegas Vic mm-hmm. to little Robert Hutton as a creative person who's been around creative people. I don't think that's the case. I think, you no, guys it's your thing. It's, it's, we, we keep working. So the, the key with like wrecking crew as far as the crew is we're all solo artists. We just happen to be good friends and we're all business partners. So the solo aspect is pretty important. So we all keep that engine going on our own. Um, sometimes I will say in the past, we would do things in the Wu-Tang vein. Like a lot of people are participating in the solo records. As we move forward and expanded our resources, we start now it's like a little bit more. Um, you work on your project and you let some cats hear it when it's done. Yep. And, and um, there was a definitive change to that. But um it's just important that we all hold up our part of a bargain. So when we do the collab pieces and the duels and the trios and stuff like that, that's all natural because that's just within the work schedule. 
So if we keep if we keep up our end of the bargain, we keep up our end of the schedule, then it's it makes it seem like we're prolific, but we're not individually putting out. I didn't put out 10 projects. Prem didn't put out 10 Zilla Smalls. You know what I'm saying? We collectively put out like 10. And that works better for our profile. Um, as far as planning and stuff, it's funny because we do early on. Like, all right, I'll put it like this. There was a time in hip hop where you would get a bunch of features, whether you were on something or you got this feature, let's, let's just say you got Sonny Chiba and that was gonna make your album, right? Yeah. And that was gonna lead to sales and all the Sonny Chiba fans were gonna come trickling over when they do a Sonny Chiba search, they're gonna find your record because your stuff is active in between his yeah, records yeah, yeah. and things of that nature, right? And that's not true at all. That's very much not true. So I think when that stuff happens and you go through that in a normal hip hop cycle of ascension, you start realizing that you're the engine and it's up to you. So if you can keep that bargain with yourself, then you will keep yourself, you will maintain, um, you'll be prolific in your own right. Yeah, if you're tuned the right way, I think like you have a friend that you run with and they do their best work and they hand it to you before it comes out and say, listen to this shit. And you hear it and you're like, this is the best shit they've ever done. If you're tuned right, it makes you want to dig into exactly. yourself. Exactly. 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 So there's whether we can pinpoint it, we might more admit it to ourselves. But like my album, or the way I did this album, will lead Prem to finish his album, and and and, and Zilla seeing that says, okay, well I can put out my album after this. We definitely keep each other in mind, but we definitely can inspire each other on some domino effect. So like. After, um, you know, as good as Vegas Vic is, it's like, all right, boom, uh, load Baron Crow's feet, boom. Still, it's like those things need to, you have to maintain status quo. So nobody wants to drop the baton at all. So, um, but definitely there have been situations where watching somebody, fin- not even the quality of the record, but watching how somebody buckled down and finished their record might make one of us buckle down and finish our record and vice versa. Yeah, no, the, we got the, and you, the Wrecking Crew mixes and does group albums together and projects yeah, together yeah. all the time. It's really cool. Um, but Shrapnel always felt different. Well, Shrapnel came a little later in, in our processes. Shrapnel always felt like going through all the history of everybody working it out. Hearing Shrapnel, I was like, ooh, this is something, right? This mm-hmm. is like something here. It works in a way, it's just, it's just different. Shrapnel uh, was the best idea we never had because as soon as we started thinking about it, it was one of those, of course. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. And we would tell people about it. Like, oh, that's a great idea. Like I said, so it was the greatest idea we never had. But then when we actually activated it, it just seemed like a no-brainer. And I think that's where the um the special, the special the speciality of it, the uniqueness of it, um, how the level it's on, that's where that's that's what's that's the spark that creates that. How has the creation and growth of Shrapnel changed the both of you? Because I think this is the most prem rock album we've ever had. Load bearing crow's feet. Yes, this is definitive work. Shrapnel Shrapnel allows us to, um, so like, you know, when you reinvest in your company after you make some money, Shrapnel allows us to reinvest our confidence in our work and ourselves. So you're, you're naturally confident, but something like that hits and works. And we didn't plan it. Like, that's the big thing about Shrapnel. It wasn't a big plan to, okay, this is what this record could do, what this record might do, and this is the least it could do. Mm-hmm. We thought we went out to tour the record, period, because we were a new group. Even though people knew Prem and they knew right. me, 
as together with Lucid Beats and with Green Beats is a new concept. So we entered it as we have to introduce people to something new. Hence why the first record is self-titled. So the shrapnel record is called shrapnel because we're introducing shrapnel. Right. The fact that it the, the uh, situations that be COVID being quarantined gave people time to listen to it and really dive into it, which might not have happened if everything was up and running. We thought we were going to have to tour the record then. That was the mission. The mission was to get a bunch of copies, extra copies, and we're going to hit the road and sell this record on the road. And that's right. how and we'll make the bones. And when we come back around, then the, then the copies we have in the warehouse and at home, they'll start moving. The fact that shrapnel started moving naturally. And I think one thing Prem noticed early on, he was like, yo, these are different. These are new people. Like everybody that was commenting on it was somebody new, a stranger, not not our homies. And that's when we knew it was doing something like the unknown were reaching out. And so shrapnel, unfortunately, is it, the best problem to have. It makes you we have to step it up. We can't. A girl never dates down. So if she gets if she if she if she dates a fortune uh, 25 motherfucker, then she dates a fortune 28. She's not going back to some fortune 22. I'm just using those numbers. She's yeah, looking yeah, yeah. for a fortune hundred. She, you know, that's how women operate. And um, hip hop is like that. You reach a certain level. Like, so I'll, I'll bring Ja Rule. He's a good analogy because he was clicking. I always said he should have just been Lou Rawls. He was clicking with the duets. Then he does blood in my eye because of this 50 cent thing. What, how horrible a career decision was that? You didn't even have to put out an album anymore, homie. You needed to hit that lick and keep it going. So, you know, definitely strike while the iron's hot. That's just a little side piece. Or like, I had, a, what's... I had reached out at one point. It, I, this is my philosophy podcast back in the day. I reached out to a, like a graphic designer and I was like, can you paint this blood in my eye cover but with my head on Ja Rule? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And she didn't, uh, which I'm thankful for because that, that was a really silly idea. Uh, but yes, no, that's a terrible record. And it is because it's not believable anymore. Like the, the motivations are all poison. It's all not, tainted because yeah. where you're coming from, you're trying to battle 50. And that's not what was making you millions during that time when you were. Un- not, I'm not going to say it fortunate because salute to that, man. You were running rap. You were running rap. Yep. Did you need to beat 50? That's where your hubris fucked you up. Pride before the fall. Yep. You know who you know who ignores people? Drake. You know what I'm saying? Like when, when Drake took the other road with Pusha T, people thought a million things, but you can't lose the battles you don't fight. And so Drake is like, look, I'm I'm persona non grata. I'm not gonna take the L, I'm gonna forfeit. That way right. you can't tag that L on my record. That's that's the, the other column, the tie, the zero, you know what I'm saying? The draw and shit like that. And so I just I just bring that up. If something is working for you. Your fans are expecting you to honor some of that that agreement. Right. You know what I'm saying? Don't paint yourself in a hole in a corner. That's 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 wrong. But definitely do what's working. Definitely yeah. do. I'm sorry if I if I got off. No, that's cool. I was I was talking to Mighty Healthy earlier today, and I was telling him like, um, people don't want what they want. They want thirty percent of what they want and seventy percent mm-hmm. some new shit. Yes, that's a good one. That's a good one. So the, and they're willing to let you lead them to that. But you have to you have to take the lead. And you have to give them that 30%. If you can give them that 30% and you experiment exactly. the rest, they're pretty cool. I would say the choice to hold your voice from this album 
until two minutes and five seconds of track two is one of the most important decisions of your career. Uh, by holding back the flow, you force the audience into the story, Bobby Immortal, and the Sonics before they hear you. How was that decision? How did that come about? Well, the irony of that is Wood said to me when he was uh, perusing the album, he said, that's pretty bold. He said, we don't hear your voice for like three minutes, right? I said, yeah, you know, if you play, you know, straight through, you know, scary. He's like, that's pretty bold. And, you know, Woods is as avant-garde as, as can be, you know, he'll, he'll okay. make some amazing moves in his yeah. first tracks. Like Woods has the killer first tracks. Like you're going to know that what, what's up. So I, um, it's the, the title of the project, Little Robert Hutton, is, is stretching out his nickname. So his nickname was Little Bobby. Everybody knows Little Bobby. And I felt like to, to give him uh, another uh, more extended homage, I'm going to spell out Little, not Little. Bobby's going to be Robert, you know, Hutton, his God-given name. So I thought I need to pay um, um, homage to that without being heavy handed. So I found that um, that clip and I had my man Marcus Penn. I say, yo, scratch this whole damn thing up. Three minutes. And, and it's funny because me being a critic, I've been listening to the demo. I'm like, oh, is this too long? Is this too much to make the task fans? I'm like, you know what? This is the record where I don't give a fuck. This is me. This is my black angst giving form. So I'm going to make the decisions I wanted to make. And right. this is what I wanted to do. So if you if you vibe with me, if you dig in the blade, so be it. If not, we got the next track coming up. And so, um, and then the next track, which is um, I'll say it for the listeners so they can all pronounce it, is A A V E and Saltfish. Mm -hmm. So it's built off the term Aki and Saltfish, but A A V is African American vernacular English. And so it's it's um it's my appropriation song. Appropriation is not happening. And right that um that's the sound of a man working on a chain gang that's a that's a old song from like um and when mps were in middle military prison they used to do yep. that and there's a movie called cadence with which uh with our man uh tom what is it charlie sheen's in now yeah i um, i that song listening to that the chain gang portion made me angry at my wife i try to i i, I love the sam cook song chain gang yes I play it in the car whenever i do she starts doing the grunts and making them sexual. And that's all <laughs> all right. that is not the point. Get back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. always wanted to musically adapt that. I really like that um, movie, Cadence, what is about um, the white man trying to, you know, um, assimilate himself into a foreign element with other black oh. um, military prisoners. It's just a really good heartwarming story. A lot of good characters. And um, I always liked that move. Get back. <laughs> I would have even done a little more. But me and the other creative one in Margell was so fine. He came up with something and we were going back and forth. And those 4G dub produced that. And I was like, yo, I need Margell to sing this part first. And then Candace Wilson sings again. And get this, get this out. Because this to me is like the heartbeat, the sonic heartbeat of the record. You know, it's the sound of the men working on the chain. Like that's what we all do, you know, black men specifically, and all of us um, in a general sense. And I wanted people to know I'm about to get this. This is me getting busy. And then the song is about, you know, misappropriation and trying to, um, you know, take black culture without um, taking the pain that's attached. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I was like, there's a movie from 1932 called I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang with Paul Mooney. Mm. Okay. Is oh, word. Incredible. It's, oh, it's yeah. a great movie. Um, and it was like, after that movie came out, I think they made Chain Gangs illegal. I think that movie was part of making Chain Gangs illegal. That's funny, um, bro. 
and it was it, it's really eye-opening because it really shows you how that life was and like the target on your back when you escaped and listening to the refrain i was thinking if more people knew the history of chain gangs yeah less shocked by the cruelty they see in the world now right they'd be like they were on the side of roads to be displayed like that's why they made them work out there the garbage pickups the banging so people we're we're gonna make an example out of you boy and they meant that you know what i mean no there was there's a sense that like the cruelty we're seeing now in america is like new and terrible and there's nothing new about it that is a that's a that's a revelation to let people know this is as old as big brick that this stuff was going on, been going on, continues going on. And that's the tragedy that nothing, yeah. something, a lot of things have changed. And a lot of times nothing has changed. No, that's, and so that was, yeah, that's, it is a great song, but yes, holding it back because you have that reputation as like the, you know, the person we would send to rap for the aliens to guarantee our civilization. I could take that. Yeah, I could take that. Uh, Shrapnel, especially my role is to kick off a lot of songs. I kick off a lot of it. Um, yeah. Shrapnel blades. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to front. I think Shrapnel was the first time I had fully engaged with you. Uh, okay. And so, good, like, good, good entry point. I don't mind that. And <laughs> so, and my first thought was, he's cheating. This is. <laughs> he's so natural at this. He's cheating. This isn't. This isn't right. Uh, but like. Hearing your process on Call Out Culture, the editing that goes into it, the, the uh, yeah, the conceptualizing, it was really good to be like, oh, no, this is the end result of a lot of work. Um, but yeah, no, it was, so you have that reputation as like the rapper's rapper, right? So mm-hmm. like for you to be like, no, first you hear Bobby, then you hear how interesting this production is, right? Because this album's electronic, it's jazzy, it's soulful. It's it's everything, in Thank a way. You. Yeah. So, yeah. One of my song. One of my. Uh, one one of my questions was, like, do you think this album has a unified sound? And if so, what is it? Well, um, if you look at the producer list, everybody except Quelly Chris did two or more beats. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a little. I think I took from. Um, not initially, not purposely, but uh, DJ Muggs had recently did that on, I think, his De La Muerte Soul Assassin's tape. Yep. It's like um, Ghostface is on like two songs and Doom is on like two songs and everybody has two different appearances. So I felt like doing that um, would give it some continuity if I put one of your beats early, one of your beats late, whatever. That, that. Mm-hmm. There is like, a, um, <laughs> when I listen to the record, there's a lot of like ghost horns like the ghosts of blue notes and the, there's a lot of horns to it. Um, um, there's that, but so the initial, the initial, um, like I always give like uh, the producers I work with like a byline of um, kind of what I'm looking for. So even while I'm picking or what you're sending me mm-hmm. and the initial tagline of the record was what if little Bobby had was um, weaponized with Afrofuturism of today? How would Hoover have taken that? You know what I'm saying? What, what, what would have been different? And that also goes into like my comic book background. As you can see on the cover, I pretty much like made like Little Bobby into a cyborg where like, if anybody knows X-Men, that's like the warlock phalanx look. Yeah. And so what, what would that have been? So those 4G dub, he went right there in that bag and gave me that future lit. 
Um, some of the lyrics that I have on like Capoeira Red Call makes you think of futuristic society. So I was trying to meld the two. So once the album started getting rolling and I had gotten so many good beats, it made me have to adjust that ideal. It wasn't going to sound like, do, 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 you know, futuristic beeps and bloops. Yeah. It was just going to be more of an idea um, applied as well as a sonic. So I think the album has a great unified sound. Like I listen to it and I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied I'm going from track one to I think 13. Um, but I think I might have to leave the listeners to figure that out. I'm not sure, like just off the gate, if it does or if it doesn't. But I do know that all the sounds belong. And like, this is an album that I executive produced. I made all of the final decisions. I didn't really involve the crew at all in terms of like, sometimes we'll give each other our albums. Like, yo, can you arrange this for me? I arranged this record. I sat in on all the mixes with our live. Um, I was adamant about getting it to green, to master it and stuff. So I definitely, this is like an album I helmed. So like, if the sound is on there, it's because I think it belongs. That makes sense. Yeah, I think my favorite beat might be the beat. I think it's just a switch at the end of the uh, the Spike Lee Denzel Wesley Snipes argument. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Bleak Shadows. Bleak yeah. Shadows. I think. I think there's a beat switch at the end of that. Yeah. It's like so that that is um that's August Fanon and all his worldly um superpowers. So Fanon gives you so many beats. It's very hard to choose and, and settle in because while you focused on on the five, you might grab or the three, you might grab. He's still sending you like another 20 or 30 in that time period. So I was I had a crisis of like selection. I was like, dang, which one can I pick and which one do I leave off? And I left off some. So that's why you have something like Black August in four parts. And that's why you have the switch on um, Bleak Shadows. And so Bleak Shadows is pretty much my song about like um, being entertained. The two sides you can take. You take the Gillian Bleak side, play for the art and all of that stuff. And then you can take the Wesley slide, which is not selfish, it's obvious. Like when Bleak criticizes him for playing with the people want, that's what you're here for, to play with the people want. And Wesley, um, as Shadow, was like, yeah, that's what we, we are here to play with the people want. What do you think right. they came here for? So it's like, I love that argument in that movie. So I just wanted to express that because we all feel that way. Sometimes right. we want to do what we want to do. But you have an agreement with the audience where we should do some things that they want to do because that's why they're here and that's why they paid and that's why they bought you your piece. So I love that argument. So yeah, that second beat is dope. That's all that's for now. Yeah. So, yeah. But that that's just because it's just a it's just an abundance. It's the greatest problem to have too many good beats. Yeah, no, there's futurist uh sounds on here. There's uh, you know, dance hall stuff uh yeah. on here, and there's yeah. but the jazzy stuff is like uh, and forgive me for going nerdy on this is the sad slow jazz that's like Miles Davis Porgy and Best jazz. Yes, yes, it's that's so that's um I'm glad you picked that up now. So that's not conscious. That's my subconscious. That's my Charlie Mingus. That's my boy Bulls, and you know what I'm saying. Like the the Mingus, like his he could drag the emotion out, just wrench it out with a long bass note, or just directing his band to play a long horn. You know, so. Yep. Um, I, I definitely was going for that. Didn't I didn't want it to be morose the album, right. but there are sad things about our experience that you need to feel underneath. Yeah, no, it, and that's I think that's what's that's what's so exciting about it is because the Sonics to me are all over. Right, it's it's incredible. You get an incredible birth of them, um, but the story is so dialed in. 
and so focused. And so it's that that dynamic really works for it. And it's like nothing you're seeing. Like every guest on Little Robert Hutton is laser on point. Yes. Story. I'm Absolutely. happy about that. It's like really impressive. Yeah. Going there and how how difficult was that to organize from the people being on the album? What all of them? What song? We, what song did you just mention? I cut you off. Oh, F stands for Hampton, right? Get okay, it, it yeah. Like Chicago MCs to, to yeah. Yeah. So to this is before Chicago. before the the, the um, Fred Hampton movie even dropped. Before Black Messiah even dropped, I was like, I need, I want to do something about Fred. It's just like sometimes I'll have like inklings in the back of my head, and I might have to wait a project or two to get them out. And that was one of the things I wanted to do something for Fred. And I said, well, this Black Panther-ish themed record, talking to, you know, giving praise to uh, Lil Bobby and, and Bobby Seale and Huey P and all that. I said like, all right, so we're going to do this Fred joint. And so I was just sitting there and I was like, you know what? I should feature a whole bunch of Chicago MCs on it. Chicago is his hometown. That's where, that's where his home base was. That would be cool. And I wouldn't have to really be like, hey, there's a bunch of Chicago MCs on it. I don't have to do that. It speaks for right. itself. I will mention in the press release, obviously, or whatever may have you um, in the conversations, but I felt like it was more important just to get their participation than to try to uh, pass it up some little gimmick. Hey, I got five right. Chicago MCs I can put on the track. It's cats I respect, Sketch, um, Alex Ludovico, Gyroscope, and um, Def C. And um, the good story about that is Def C was hesitant to get on it at first. He had he said he wanted to do some soul searching to see if a white guy could talk about that on that on this record, and I appreciated that. And I and I pushed him that I wanted him to do it. So I was like more in the positive. Yeah, man, you you, you live there. That's all I kind of want. So what's your angle and stuff like that? And he he acquiesced and gave me a great um, piece. I told everybody write like eight bars so we could kind of fit it on the record. Yep. And um, but that that piece that meant a lot to me. The deaf even um, was hesitant and had those concerns because I know that he really cared. He's, and he's really cerebral with it, and he he understands and doesn't want to step anywhere he shouldn't step. Which which yeah. I don't but it's important for white people to stand with the movement, right? To not let it be a black thing, right? Exactly. Exactly. No, man, I agree with that. Human, this is human shit right here, and yep. anything that's fucked up, we need to help. Like that's that's it. Um, that should be that should be a first of all. So yeah, sort of. So on that one. It was a good mission to, to um, go about. And uh, the funny, at first I only had Colossal Structure and then like, so the serendipity of the record just is like, you have no idea. So like I had Colossal Structure, that's my man, we talk frequently. And his partner, I'd be focused, I know him too, but I'm not as close to him. Mm-hmm. And um, I gave them the assignment, but Colossal turned this thing and out the blue, Focus sent me a verse. I was like, you know, I, I had finished a song kind of without him. I didn't know if he had the time, you know, I wasn't trying to press anybody. And I had a, a long work to do the record. So um, if he didn't have the time, I wasn't going to take it personal or anything like that. And it was funny because he sent me the verse. I was like, oh, man, I hit up our live. I was like, yo, put this hit. We had to rearrange everything. So that was like serendipity um, to come out with that. And it just made the song even better. So salute yeah. to that, man. No, these are these are like great guest verses in interesting places uh, that really do help. I mean, the, you must have been pretty excited when you when you got that Breeze Brewing track solidified. Like, 
So Breeze was in communication with me this whole time while he was working on it. Before he started working on it, we would check in with each other. And I really respected that. That's like dope. Um, I don't know when this will go live, but people haven't seen it. So we shot a video too. So there's a video for Weapon 13X with Breeze. He showed up to the video shoot. Gracious. This is a legend friend of mine, you know? And so when I got those vocals, I was crazy. When I got the lift vocals, that was even crazier. I was very patient with him. He had a lot going on in the time he was working on. Um, so he was very gracious to even get me that verse because he had a lot going on. So he could have like not been able to. Do it. Yep. So just getting these people that um, not even, um, I could say 10 years ago, but shoot, not even five years ago, but like 10, 12 years ago, I was in total reverence of their skill, their application, their artistry. And I never considered me working with them. That was always some far-fetched, Oh, I'd love to get a verse from Breeze. And so the fact that that's um, real in my later stages of my rap career, I couldn't ask for anything better. I was like speechless. And, it, and it, it's something that Woods agrees with me. Um, we both said it. It's like, yo, when you're on a song with Breeze, just worry about your part. Don't, <laughs> don't try to get in. Oh, let me see. Can I match? Don't, don't just worry about your part. Focus on your part. Because yeah. he's eating. Yeah. He's eating red meat. Bloody. Yeah. He's, he's so good. So good. And he gave me such a... Like I said, he was in communication with me. So he hit me up. He's like, yo, can I call you Curly Fidel? I was like, oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? My name in the rap. You know, when I get off the phone with him, not when I'm talking to him. But right, right, so right. it's just like, but he was so transparent and like communicated with me that that was like an enjoyable experience amidst COVID and amidst all of that. You know what I'm saying? Just I love, talking to the dude. I love his verse. It's so composed. It's so dope. The, the best thing you can do is not try and do the kind of song the other person's doing, if that makes right. sense. Like you, right. The I, what I used to hate, uh, whenever twisted, whenever twister was brought into a song, the main rapper would do the twister. Do the twister. Yep. A good. Good point. Yeah. And and it'd be like the only time that worked though is when the master did it when Biggie outbone bone thugs. Oh shit. And the, but here but here's the twist what people don't realize. Biggie's just rapping in a faster flow. He's actually not doing the bone thugs flow. No, but he because he's on the song with them. Yeah. You start thinking, "Oh, he did the bone." You know, it, that legend was running and I remember people would skip the song as soon as he finished. They would skip right to the next song. They wouldn't even listen to Busy and Busy. I love that them. song. Oh. No, they they they're spies at all of them. So I just Something like that, you know, when it comes to like styles, yeah. No, but it, it's it's important, and I think that that was when I first was like, Saba is something because Saba had Twista on there, and he just did Saba. He didn't worry about it, right? Twista, right. I'll do Saba. We'll, we'll meet, and that'll be great. Uh, so I I appreciate that. But yeah, well, um, the cool thing, Wrecking Crew wise, and you guys have subverted a lot of the expectations that people tried to kind of bottle this movement in over the years right art rap okay. right you guys were yeah it was art rap uh, and it was avant-garde and it was like a nostalgic right they tried to put all these different things on it yeah but like you guys will reach out and be like this song has rob sonic and doof you know and you, you whatever you know yep across generations and bring people together uh, and cross sounds and like mutate sounds and change things uh, and that's that's always been pretty valuable you know like and to be able to keep going yep i so, mean like again, again these things were daydreams night dreams back in the day and now it's like you you um 
you acquire a certain cachet and you build up enough equity where you're like, yo, I'm going to hit up. I mean, I hit up Rob years ago when I was just starting out or when I was in the middle of this whole thing. And, you know, it didn't work out then. Um, how should I say? It? Well, we, we got work with Rob in the future. I'll just say that. Yep, that's and awesome. um, um, so it's just like now it's like when you get to a certain point where what's the worst thing somebody can say is no. So the fan and the, and the, rev, the fandom and the reverence turns into, you know, maybe I could maybe I'm a two levels below this peer and I can approach them on some. And of course, you know, you want to compensate people and stuff like that. But sometimes the work just happens and stuff. Um, like my connect, my, you know, when I got on the Alchemist um, and Arm and Hammer record. Yeah. Like, you know, Al is, Al is real. He, he like my verse. He's cool with it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not yeah. saying it'll be anything. You no, know, listeners, I ain't saying it'll be anything with Alchemist and Curly Castro in the future, whatever. But the reverence is there. The respect is there. Like when we had the idea. show together, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that, that means a lot to me, yeah. too. Totally. Yeah, just to be on the map. I mean, but that is the cool part. It seems like a lot of this grows out of like an antagonistic thread that is properly channeled within mm-hmm. the group where like as an example uh zilla's putting together vegas vic and he's like all you motherfuckers are grabbing sleepy beats and just rap until the end of them i'm gonna go hooks it's gonna be about hooks and this is his most hooky project so like if you see too much over there you guys are always like what's happening over there though like yeah i mean we, we're still all creative in our own right so i, I never think that we'll ever follow any trend or try to do our version or whatever we just don't work that way mm-hmm. and like i said we just keep working so whatever trend is going on that's we're oblivious to that i don't even know some, some you know i don't even know sometimes some current stuff i have to play catch up um so we're just always going to do us you know the uh so i need to ask cujo taught me has the beautiful okay. beanie man interlude yes when did that become key to the song that sounds like it, it feels like a jason griff thing well, no, it was my idea. Was um, so, so it's a piece of that verses they did, and it's like, um, and it's a typical part in the sound clash where they play somebody else's beat and they just start going off. Right, right, and right. it's um, it's the best part. Uh, Beanie's uh, beer gut is sticking all the way out. He's he's genuflecting to the sky, um, and um, they're just rapping at each other. It, it, it's just so ill. Um, Buju. Um, no, it's yeah. not Buju. It's um, is it Buju? No, it's not Buju. It's um, it's Beanie and um. Oh my God, what am I doing in my brain right now? Beanie Man versus a bounty killer. Bounty is bounty. Yeah, it's bounty killer. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Forgive me. And bounty coming with his heart. And so I love that. I was I love that versus. Is actually one of my top like three. And um, I just felt like the song was a sound clash in the sense that, like, you know, I'm just kind of battling myself. And within those sound clashes, the DJ might just throw a dub plate on something. You know what I'm saying? Just yep. to keep the party rocking. And so I just wanted it just to be a moment in the record. So if anybody's been to, like, a reggae party, the dub plate comes in because mm-hmm. the because the celeb the, the dub plate, they walk through. They play their dub plate. Now they go sit down and boom. They go back to the um, regular uh, scheduled programming. So I just wanted that. That's just reggae to me, just that spontaneity. And I felt like grabbing that part when they were being spontaneous. That wasn't anything scripted. That wasn't any of their songs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like it would just fit so much. And Cujo told me how to do that. 
Cujo, when he would come on the track, he's bringing attention to himself. His 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 interest in the tracks would always be like the exaggerated record script. If you put that yeah. soundtrack before his verse, it would always work. And then the beat come back in. You know what I'm saying? Awesome. W2s, like in the, that voice and stuff like that. And so that's what I was going with that song. Cujo told me how to you know, rock like this. Cujo Goody. Cujo Goody. Cujo Goody. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no, it's it's and who did the beat for Free Huey uh, hats? Dude. Okay, so that's my man Locust. He's ill. He did the beat for Bobby Immortal. He did Free Huey Fitteds, and he did um, Killer Priest. Uh, the Free Huey hats are like that is the song that grew on me the most as I was re-listening. That that is like. If you're if you want to listen to this album and you're indifferent to the political elements or the you know whatever, like you can just enjoy the shit out of that. Yeah, that's just that's just the serrated blade. Like that's one of um Griff's and Alex's favorite. That just is a chop, chop, chop. Like we just chop and, into the cleaves off. And I've never heard like I've never heard a Zilla verse like that. That was awesome for him. He went like, there, yeah. He went there lasted. on this political thing. Yeah, he said it. He said, "Yeah, I'm gonna go there." He actually made it a point. That was like our woo moment. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go here, son. Like, you know what I'm saying with craft and that that song. And um, and again, I'm keeping I'm keeping stuff on the raps. Like they know what they're featured on, but they don't know what everything was. So they they get they had the outline, and he just went from there. Yeah, no, he said, he said, like, they tried to kill Fidel for the casino lobby. He's trying to take the casino lobby, yep, yep. That, that's, that's a big, real, that's a nice move from Zeke. Right there, that is awesome. Yeah, Zeke can go there, he can go there if he want. So, he wanted yeah, to flex was, that muscle. Yeah, it was great, and, and yeah, I mean, obviously, I think Alex is, is great on... On yeah, F F, he's a, F for Hampton, right? Yeah, so it's just like a play on that whole... Um, F, you know, uh, Little Wayne when he says you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. the F stands for Wazy, you know. So to my my F stands for him. So that's the all. <laughs> awesome. The yeah. uh, but no, yeah, Alex's voice is so incredible. I was gonna ask. This is the. I really love the use of Sketch One Eighty Five on this album. He's on like two tracks. Yes, yes, he is. Could you do me a favor and executive produce a Sketch One Eighty Five album? <laughs> I mean, Sketch One Eighty Five and Analog oh, yeah. Tape Dispenser. They go back to like the, you know, um, the allegory caves covering themselves with shrouds of Turin and shit, and they get busy. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't even tell you about their processes. Um, I think Sketch is working on something right now. Um, Tomorrow King's record, I know, is in production. And I think they're working on another War Church record, but I can't talk about his schedule ever. He's just such a, a beast of an artist. Like you just let him have his process because when, when, he, when he touches down, it's great. Such an incredible delivery. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Such, I was yeah. take I was taken back by sketch from the first time I saw him. It was at a Yule Prague. He had come to New York with part of the Tomorrow Kings, not all of them. And I was just in awe. And when they got off stage, I immediately got their contacts. I said I want to work with y'all. And then they became like the main features on my project, Restoring Big Build. Like all of the features, all of them. And it was just because I and it's because it's funny. You meet people on the road. You meet people out here in this scene, and you always say, "Hey, we're gonna work together. Let's get up." And it's just like when you graduate high school and there's all those KITs and phone numbers in the back of girls that didn't even talk to you for four years. So sometimes that's all unfulfilled potential. You don't really call that number and you don't really get back with these artists. But I was determined to work with Tomorrow King. They had moved right. me so much that they even helped me finish that project. That project was like a little limbo-ish. I was kind of writing it, working on it on my own. And when I met them, 
I'm finishing this project and they help me fill in a lot of the blanks. So I'm always, I always got sketch on my mind. If he fits a song, I'm going to call him, I'm going to hire him and I'm going to make sure he handles it right. Because he handles an assignment. Sketch always understands the assignment for sure. Yeah. I mean, if he's got new stuff in the pipeline, I'm willing to rep it as, as, as hard as it will go Uh, because he's a hidden treasure. He's one of those like heart of the region people, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. The uh, so many good tracks. There's, a, there's some. You got the Kill Her Priest. You got the Black August in three parts. You've also four, got four parts. Don't four don't, parts. don't make Sorry four parts. I don't want people to skip one. Is isn't Sharif <laughs> on this as well? Or no? Is Sh- no, Sharif's not on this. Okay, this is does a ranking three thing. So did like did did the Killer Priest references come after the Killer Priest? Uh, round table or were they before or did it just sync up no um it's just how the song with what the song means so i it's just the way i wanted to name it but i don't hey i think the song was finished before we did the round table uh, and so like prem is talking about a girl and then i'm yeah. i'm talking about like um this character from a, um, a movie named priest um and the actor that plays him um it's a man named um campbell um, so he's like a legendary, he's he, legendary, like um, Jamaican actor, um, Bruce Campbell. I think his name Bruce. Yeah, I think it's Bruce. I could be wrong, but you can listen to the song if you want to know. And he's played a couple of roles in things like Baby Mama and like um, Top Shot and Shotters. He's in it, and he's also in like um, this movie about the cops out there. So like he's a menacing figure. So I wanted to take that angle when the beat switch. But in the beginning, the beat is like, you know, I was like, yo, Prim, we could just shrapnel this shit up. You could do your thing on the first part. So I like how I attack the beat after he sets you up. Oof. So, yeah. And then um, so then the, the idea of the name Kill Her Priest, it's just a nice name. Uh, yeah, no, you and and that's the other thing about the album that is interesting is a lot of the hooks are repurposed classic hooks uh, <laughs> that hip hop people will know that are now like different you know yeah uh, mm-hmm. so that's it, it's it's interesting because as much as the sonics will change as much as the expectations will be subverted like you'll remember the switchness like the the chorus <laughs> will stick in your head yeah uh, yeah i found that online and um it was like during um heavy protest season um and I found I found that like online and they were the irony was they were walking through an obviously gentrified neighborhood and it was all these white folks eating outside. This was an outdoor dining and you couldn't go inside. Mm-hmm. And as they were walking by, they were singing this and everybody was eating. It was like packed so out and they were all looking with just this look on their face of like, oh, I feel a little guilty about what's going on here. And I thought it was just so funny. Um and I haven't talked about gentrification in a, in a song specific, so I just felt like, you know what, this is the way Castro would talk about it. Oh, no, it's it's real. It, a lot of people are, are talking about gentrification, and I can understand how people might get tired of it, but it's like really affecting people's lives all over the country. Yeah, I mean, I spent my summers in Chelsea, and that's in Manhattan, and everybody that knows Chelsea knows it's changed. Like, I remember... Um, they added a bike lane and one day I went over there and I got lost because the bike lane made a certain avenue, made 8th Avenue look totally different. 
And I was turned around and I grew up there, spent all my life there. My dad was on the point, like, he'd say, turn around. That's my real name. He said, but I'll say, when my dad was going to rap, he's like, Castro, yeah, turn around. And I turned and I found a building that I recognized. I like, oh my God, it was right like behind me. You know, so um, like that's, I've seen that in real time. My grandmother, yep. that was my grandmother's crib. And so, um, and then I have like this, this sample at the end of it. So it's just like, I've seen it in real time. I don't have to talk about it in terms of theories and projections and ideals. I've seen it in real time happen in parts of my neighborhood. And it's not, see, people think they take it the wrong way, but like there was a time where white people were scared to be in my neighborhood and now they're my neighbors. And the irony of my building that I grew up in on Tennis Court of Church Ave is like, it started off as being built in like the 20s or whatever. And all these white people, Jewish people used to live in there. Mm-hmm. Then they all moved out during the you know historic white flight. So gentrification is, is almost a spit in the face. It's like, oh, now you're back? What are you doing back here? We thought you didn't want to be here. You bounced. And now you're coming back because the rent's better. Like, it's so weird. You know what I mean? That's where it starts. Before it gets into the intrusions and the, um, and the appropriation, it's just, it's just strange because, um, like, I, somebody at once said, like, uh, like so um, if you're part of a group, rap collective, let's mm-hmm. say, and they think you're the problem, you break off the collective. The collective still has the problem. So they, you wasn't a problem. What's going on? Y'all should be thriving, right? You should be right, flying right, high, right. whatever. Everything should be clean and good. So that's just the yeah. irony of it. Is like, you know, you're eating crow to come back to our neighborhoods. And, um, you know, and, and it's and somewhat of it, some of it's intrusive. Um, and it goes back to like the fetishizing while trying to eliminate, right? right? Like it exactly. goes back to that, the Don Will bar from Fresh Lemonade or whatever. The... Or, and, and it's it's weird because I was wondering, like, are those separate parts of the power structure doing that? Or is that, is it the same, is this the left hand and the right hand and they don't know it? The there's a consciousness, there's a consciousness to it because it's so consistent. Yeah. So I don't, so I say consciousness because it could be conscious or it could be subconscious, but there's a consistency to it. You know what I mean? Like I mentioned it in the first song, A-V-E and Saltfish, like, you know, Blackface Frat Party. Gold Chain, you know, my, my brother's sister, you know, I, I'm like, misquote myself, my, my sister's cousin fucks black, are you not entertained? Like, can I get that, can I get that pass? Yeah. When I'm asking, when, when I say, um, am I not into Wayne? Can I scout me a pass? I'm talking about like, some white folks want that nigga pass. Some white folks want that ghetto pass, whatever they call it, and stuff like that. I'm not into Wayne, you know what I mean? And it's that's not enough. You know what I'm saying? You can't just, you can't pay for it with a couple of shekels. We're not for sale. So yep. play your position. So like, you know, there's a, there's a definitely way to reintegrate yourself in the neighborhoods without being so intrusive. That's what we're saying. If the mom and pop shoe store disappears and now there's a Jamba Juice, as cliche as it sounds, that's actually what's happening. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, it's, that's fucked up. The, um, the, I only ask this question First of all, I wanted to say your commitment to your performances has 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 been something for me over the years, just in the sense that, like, there's a Blue Edward song that I despise. I can't even okay. do it. And this, it's the song where you are trying to rap and small pro, like, ambush <laughs> the beat. Yeah. <laughs> start getting mad. And it's because your performance is so good on it 
that I empathize with you and get mad at small pro. And get- <laughs> yeah, habitual line stepper. Yeah, that joint. Yeah, habitual line stepper. That's right. Um, and I was just, it, it's, you're the only person like that where it's like, you're, it was, it's so, it's so interesting. Commitment. And yeah, I try to, um, I mean, there's always that marriage between live and, and studio. And so I really charted, you know, later in my career, trying to just emote better. I had a hard time talking about my own personal things. So I said, well, at least I'm going to talk about something. Let me emote it, play the character a little uh, more to T, just to, just to bring you into my world a little better. So, and yeah, when part, I wrote yeah. that, well, I just want to finish. When I wrote that, I was writing it and the beat felt kept like the loop was different. And I felt like it kept cutting me off. Like as I was writing, just my natural thought. I was like, what is so wait a minute, let me write it that way. Let me like <laughs> write like the beat is fucking because that's what it sounded. That's what the loop made me feel. And I could have wrote through it, you know, um, flow wise, but I felt like this would be more interesting because um, young man rides right over it. But but to me, it was just like, oh, small. What do you you know? What I'm saying you messing me up on purpose. That yeah. is a small thing to do. So like that's that's true. That's not that's not an uh, exaggeration. No, the. The positive end of that, by the way, is Vigilante Breakfast, right? Like a Midnight yeah. Suns, like you coming into the track, like stretching and hurting and like. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, Dan, I'm an old man. I'm an old man. Yeah. So that wasn't that hard. So like, I just thought like at my age, I have my aches and pains. So what would it be like if I was a superhero and I'm a little older? Because that's what being an older MC is. You're a superhero, but you're a little older. Yep. So you got your creaks and your cracks. So you might wake up on the bathroom floor like, oh, my God, this cape is wrapped around my neck. I didn't get good mm-hmm. circulation. You know what I'm saying? Like regular things and shit like that. Like I, I slept with my um, with my boots on, so my feet kind of hurt. You know, they're, they're good for action, but not like sleeping and stuff, circulation. Yep. And so I just I just wanted to uh, uh, emote that in that verse. Like um, what happens? So I'm always a big fan of... Um, what do the superheroes do when they go home? Like that, when I, yeah. when I was growing up, I was always like the Superman go to the bathroom. And so that would always pervade everything. And so like when I would find books that were more into the realism of comic book heroes having to deal with being human, I was always attracted to that. So like things like Squadron Supreme, which was the alternate universe, which was one of the first books I saw like superheroes actually get murked and not get resurrected or nothing and, and get murked, if people are familiar with it, accidentally like somebody threw somebody into somebody else so it was just like human error like we have these powers and somebody's gonna get hurt and to me the fact that they couldn't like you know resurrect or magic that person back i was like that's so interesting that's 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 what it is and so i want to sell my rhymes like that too like i want you to know like we don't this is not family matters we don't finish it in a half hour at the end right 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 and so if that's going to take you off a cliff with me um emotionally then yeah let's go the uh, yeah no it's I was always drawn to like the characters like because the universe is so tightly wound right mm-hmm. Plastic Man just doesn't fit right Deadpool doesn't fit uh, right you know so you would have you know the 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 cosmic biker bounty hunter you know just just riding around punching Superman in the face and everyone was like what is this you know, Lobo. yeah Lobo is crazy. <laughs> I was always drawn to that and be like they kind of don't want this guy here like he's messing up every, the, the way things work here by being so real like hey this guy got like double your power and doesn't care about your little laws and things of that nature how do you deal with that like how did like 
Superman is very engaging. I'm not a big DC fan, but he's engaging when like his red, white, and bluish stuff is just not enough. Like this guy, like Mixel Place, like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. Like, how does he deal? He has to deal, right? Yeah. And, and his, his natural things that he normally falls back on, goodness and pride and trueness, that's not working, but he's still Superman, so he has to solve it. So those are always the more interesting comics to me where um, the superheroes have to, you know, in spite of the humanity and also in spite of their heroism, where their powers solve everything, they got to figure it out. And and yep. to me, that's some of the best hip hop songs. Is even though you're imbued with all these powers, your lyrics, you got to figure this out. And the listener too. So I try yeah, to go. I mean, and, and there were people like uh, like the Punisher has a troubling following now. Like it's troubling. Right. Following. Yeah. That's that's the um, funny enough because that's the imagery. So it's easy right. to take that skull and repurpose it and all that stuff and think, oh, we see him on the covers. Covers are sizzle reels. People don't even get like the comic book covers sometimes are not what's in the book. They're sizzle right. reels. They're when you see them on that revolving shelf. They, they, comic book advertisements go back to the old adage of the spinning shelf, the spinning um, yep. book rack. What's going to grab your eye? Now, is Punisher really, you know, putting two guns up somebody's nose that, that you haven't seen in three issues? No, but hey, this is going to make you buy this comic and they might mention that guy, whatever like that. So Covers are misleading. So if you just take Punisher at the cover value and know his intricacies, he's barely the character that he actually has grown to be. He's such an intricate character. And if you're just taking the tropes, it goes to show me that, you know, you're um, you're still a mule with a carrot on a stick because all you're doing is following the low-hanging fruit. Punisher got guns. He's my hero. I have guns. That's not that. Why does Punisher have guns? Why is he uh, hunt criminals? Punisher would shoot you dead in your face, copper. Like up. that's how about that? Like they so it's it's there's some irony because Zilla brings us up like the Punisher would despise all y'all that wear his uh his little insignia. And the funny thing is, fans of the Punisher didn't wear his insignia. It signified death, certain death that was inevitable because he's on a mission, he won't be stopped. So you're not wearing the Punisher skull. Nobody was just spraying it on himself. So the funniness of people that take that um that 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 stance that hard right stance and use that symbol to express those ideas it's ironic they put the little blue lives matter flag on it and stuff like that but it's like yo man whatever i, I remember they were trying to do it with thanos they were trying to give thanos into oh, trump that's right they were trying to make like thanos trump and trump thanos with the glove and all i was like yeah whatever man you know what i mean but it's low-hanging fruit people are going to yeah. grab what they think is easy to grab crack open and suck the juices out of it Yep. And it's not, a, it's, 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 it lacks something. The part that I loved about Punisher growing up was just as a writer, it was like, holy shit, he doesn't have any of the things a superhero right. has. His family's right. dead. He has yep. no love interest. He's like, the. I remember there was a Chuck Dixon comic. It opens with him stuck in traffic, pissed because he's late to kill people. <laughs> perfect. That's a perfect opening. Got the guns and the other seats. Right, right, right. You Come know, on, like, I got I got things to do. Yep. There's all these weird Punisher moments where he's like, he just had sex with the hooker, and he's looking out the window because the gun deal's happening in about ten minutes, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna need to get dressed." Like, yeah, man, you can't do that. Like, on mission. I'm the Punisher. I'm on yeah. mission. Love it. So I always felt like he was like the spam virus that would crash the computer. Like Marvel yes. never wanted him to be that successful. No, 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 not at all. And uh, and they would try to mute him with the stories, but he was just so magnetic. Like I think him versus the Daredevil was a great story because 
the imagery of the daredevil being the more righteous of the two wearing the yep. devil uniform mm-hmm. and the punisher with the whole righteousness of his um exact hate um like I, I like the series talked about that like when i put them down they stay down your guys mm-hmm. pop back up get bail and sneak out and break out my guys are done i'm finished done. with this i'm on to the right. next target and there was an absolutism to it. And because it was in comic form, of course you can take that. We don't want nobody running around being a vigilante like that. Sure. But I think the comic made it safe to do the vigilantism. People talk about that with Batman all the time. Oh, you can't take the law in your own hands. And Punisher was like, you could take that and shove it. And I, I, I'm going to show you what the law, what my law is, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's whenever Batman loses his temper, it's like on a goon, but not on the Joker. It's so nah. So because he, you know, with the it, there's the uh he needs the Joker, and so he will only go but so far with the Joker. So he does. They are the Joker justifies him his his existence. So it's just like you know. But yeah. So this is I get the last question I have for you. This is I only ask this to interesting people. Um, what is your favorite non-rap album of the last ten years? Oh, oh, let's think. The last ten years, so I go back to twenty ten. I always give mine. Mine is uh, the Idler Wheel uh, with the Fiona Apple. Okay. Um, I don't want to say her name wrong. What is it? Uh, Saba. Um, oh, oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Is it jazz? Is it? No, they do like Afrobeat. They do a whole bunch of things. Um, what is that name? Oh, I'm so bad at this. I feel like that might be. It's not that anti-ballas or anything. It's not like that Baptone stuff. No, hold on. Let me see. Um, artists. Okay, hold on. I got it. Mm. Come on, okay, artist. Okay, here we go. Yeah, say by Capstead. They did an album, it's like an Afro beat. Um, say by Capstead is not just a band, it's about showing people what it looks like when cultures collide. Thina is the product of that collection. Um, so their first record was Conky, and then they had this other record called Thina. S-E-B-A-K-A-A-P-S-T-A-B. That was my favorite. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. Seba Copstead. Okay, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. they, they have another record out, but I well, this the second record is the one that uh Dewey Sanders is my man. He uh he designed that first record, Conkey was dope too. Yep. Seba Copstead, uh K-A-A-P-S-T-A-B, first S-E-B-A. That's that's a good. Yes, I remember the the Conky one. I I definitely rocked that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't do the thinner thing, but I gotta, I gotta yeah check that, that out. Yes, yeah. that's awesome. Good stuff. So, yeah, what is 
what are the future plans? So when is Shrapnel coming? Do we know that? Uh, Shrapnel will be dropping next year. Okay. Um, can't say when, but the record is like done. So we just got to put it in a production and get it rolling. I'm working on that now. That's awesome. So yes, is there going to be like one crew compilation a year and then everybody's solo stuff? Is that the... Well, sometimes not playing. Well, the next thing for Wrecking Crew is we have actual LP. Oh, uh, we're working on that. Okay. Yeah, we have actual record. Me, Prem, uh, Zilla, and Smalls have some beats on there, too. So, yeah, so we have an actual Wrecking Crew LP. That'll be dropping next year, too. So, you know, just to cap it off, and people, will, they'll be able to tell the difference between the compilations that we dropped so far and an actual record. Got some banging ass features on there too. I ain't gonna drop that, but yeah, it's real, real choice. People like hearing them with us. That's awesome. So is there, is there anything you heard this year? So I would say new voices. Who are mm-hmm. your favorite new voices you've heard this year? Well, new with? old is like Fat Boy Sharif. Oh, that's I, think, that, right I there. think that's fine. Yeah, it's new old because he's kind of he's kind of been around for a few years, but like this record, Gandhi loves children. That's that's the one. Yeah, that framed him in a new way. Um, yeah, but definitely gave him definitely. everything he needs. And then the that live performance thing was incredible. Um, he yeah. um the envious thing about Sharif and Roper and and um in tandem is they've been able to extend the conversation of their album for a whole year. Came yep. out a year ago, and and yep. it's and the irony is they get more press about the record now than when they drop. So it goes to show you that first two week burst cycle that's pie in the sky. And you want people to be talking about your record in a year because Sharif got more stuff in the bank. But what you can do is hold on to that, keep maximizing this opportunity he got with POW record recordings. Was yep. able to drop a little deluxe version on tape and stuff like that. Like all of that is beneficial. It's. There's a lot. It's so much disposable music these days, but you still got to give your, your things time to breathe. Shrapnel had that time. You know what I'm saying? We didn't rush up with another joint. We came with a little remix joint for Chet, but it still you know, circles back to the original record. And now, we'll, you know, next year y'all get the second piece. So same thing. Like I, It's funny because when I look back, I didn't drop a solo record like Tasha's 2019, 2018. Yeah, 2018. And so you don't even really kind of notice because, you know, I'm doing other things. I dropped Blue Ed. Was, Blue Ed was just like, you know, me and Smalls. But like yep. my last solo record was um, Tosh. And that was like 2018 when it first dropped. And then I did the vinyl the year after that, you know. So keep the conversation going. It's important. Like I want us to be talking about. Was it was Tosh before Fidel? Tosh was after Fidel. Fidel was okay. like t- 2017. If I think oh. back on it. When it originally, originally dropped. But I want people to be talking about low bearing crow's feet next year. You know what I'm saying? Amidst all of the other things. We we don't make disposable music where you just turn it, turn it over and turn it right back around. We want you to get into our new stuff and make and it reminds you to check out our old stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like we definitely have fans that will go back and grab something that surprises us. Oh word, you know, you're checking this out and then they'll talk about, oh, this is dope. You know what I'm saying? Because we just having a variety of catalog that you can go dive into. And that's always what I wanted. Yeah, no, you can you can find new pockets that are your favorite places on Load Bearing Crow's Feet, and you can just keep finding new pockets. Um, it's beautiful, you know. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so it, it's yeah. I was t- when we were, when I was talking to Zilla, we were talking about our favorite rollouts, 
Uh, okay. I brought up Sharif. He brought up Stove God Cooks. Yeah, he loves Stove God. Because Stove God dropped that album last year, and yep. he's just been killing features since. Yep. And, and people go back and go grab the album. They go yeah. back, oh, this is album. They go back, God, reason will dry. Just it takes them right back. But he's so definitely been wanna, representing on the features and stuff. You don't want to drop too much, but you don't want to drop and then not drop at the right time. Like, I I mean, the climate we live in, it's 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 based on like you know what have you done for me lately? So, oh, this is dope. What's next? But sometimes you have to fight that urge and still honor your own schedule. Because with, 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 with people, I think, and this is my own personal experience, what they run into is they start competing with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Shell's money, rest in peace, his project just dropped. Um, Amazing. Uh, Son, Son, it's a great Son's project, Andre. great project. Amazing. Son's Andre, great project. But he had run into an issue at one point where he was um, selling East Hampton Polo Boys merch but was um, putting out the, uh, the lobster. I think the lobster, I can't remember what that one was called. Lobster Tales of the Tesla. Lobster yep. Tales of the Tesla. And I was feeling like, yo, you're kind of crossing streams. You know what I'm saying? We talked about that. Like, you got to kind of give everything a space, even if you have other things on deck. Your fans will wait. And I'm bad at that myself. Like, I, I wanted this record to come out. I mean, I'll tell you, it would have been silly. Like, I wanted this while I was pushing woods. I'm like, oh, you know, where's the schedule and stuff? And he was like, you know, he got he had he had his mind made of where it should go, and, and it mm-hmm. turned into the perfect place for it to be. So sometimes you have to hold back your own instincts and your own you know your own anxiousness about. Oh, I got all right. I got it. I got the next shit. Like I know a group back in the day, they did that and cut their nose to spite their face because they were always disappointed in their old shit because they're working on new shit. But nobody had heard shit. And one thing you learn in music is it's new until somebody hears it. Yep. And yep. so by dishonoring your, your stuff that you have ready to go, because you got this new shit in deck, you're really just playing a game and not giving anybody anything mm-hmm. when, you, when, you, when you turn around to it. And so you don't want to be your own worst enemy. So I just say, you know, just sharpen your blade, be confident in the forge. And then when you pull it out the fire, just be ready to swing it. That's all. What else? Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are proving that they're prolific and that's kind of their thing now. Is there like... Right. I'm prolific. I do. But to your point, it's got to be building somewhere, right? Yeah. It's got to well. be, it's got to be building to a point of the people you love. Every time they release something, it was important, right? Like this record, um, little Robert Hutton, each song is its own powerful statement. That was something important to me. Each song can exist by itself, not even in a yeah. single game, but like each song was its own album. It was still work. And, and that was like my own quality control and my, you know, uh, my nature and how I work. I did, it was important that all of those things stood up to itself. So I'm not going to release no flotsam and jetsam or filler or something that just going to carry you from track five to eight. And here's some little seven stuff. Like, that's not that's not the time. We, you know, I want everything to say that I say to be important and have gravity. So I felt it was important to make each one of those moves important, um, matter. And so... Like just throw away albums and stuff like that. Like that comes out of extra work. So let's say we do 12 song album and I did 20 joints. I don't hold on to music. So let's see how we can repurpose these eight. But that's that even that is gonna have a mission and a statement. We're not just gonna be throwing stuff out there. None of our stuff is that disposable. Everything is worth the time that it took to make it. So we wanna present it in a proper package where you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you as a listener is gonna place that value right back on it. Yep. 
and I think you've done like a lot of work tightening up every quadrant of your artistic makeup. Uh, if that makes sense, from from the hooks to the impact of the delivery to the written stuff, uh, we we talked about it because like Zilla feels like he's on a mission to become as concise as he can, right? Mm -hmm. To become like a great crime writer in that way. Uh, and you are on the opposite mission. Your shit is getting denser and denser. Uh, and that's that's really cool. You're building like worlds and labyrinths for people <laughs> across the Thank that's you. Fucking cool. And that's it, and I think that's why Shrapnel hit so hard is because Armand Hammer had started hitting really hard. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, the first I got to do an email interview with Woods, and one of the first things I asked him was how weird is the process of like the additional levels of people loving you, right? Of like Pitchfork loves you now, but they never even covered you. Before, right. You know? Like, how is that? How does that must feel weird? And so they were blowing up in that way. People started checking for every backwoods release and they were like, Oh, there's another group. And it was just the perfect record to go along with. It. So. Oh, yeah. You. It's, yeah, that's just that's just the backwards um, decree. You got to hold up your part of the bargain. And so, you know, Angle is it's not going to be no watered down product when you, you know, when you label mates with Woods and Lucid. It's just not happening. No, that's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I appreciate it. And I hope this gets the highest treatment, you know, from from everyone, because it to be fair, I think. Hip hop is a pro black place, or okay. supposed to, right? Uh, but not everybody within it really is. Agreed. And this is a record. If you're gonna put it on your chest and you're gonna be like little Robert Hutton motherfucker, like you've gotta you've gotta wear that, you've gotta explain that, you've gotta you've gotta declare yourself. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So. Uh, yeah, be about it, I would say. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. I got I to gotta talk to you a little bit after we, after we close this out. But right, thank you for having me, though. I appreciate it. This is my first little piece on the record. It's, yeah. uh, I always felt like it would be kind of daunting for me how to talk about this record because it is kind of personal and emotional. Yep. And um, I just wanted people to know how I felt about certain things. Oh, shoot. No, what I was going to do before you yes, go, sir. I was going to read from the book. Okay. Read from the book. This is, this is a great book. Companion piece. Anybody listens to this, wants to know more. It's called Seize the Time. And it's by Bobby Seal. Nice. So. Former adjunct professor at my college. We'll read a, a little here. So Father Neil called me up about two hours later, about 2.30 or 3.30 in the morning, told me that Bobby Hutton had been killed. He told me that Eldridge Cleaver and Bobby Hutton had somehow been forced into a house. As they were coming out of the house, Bobby had his hands up, but they shot him in the head. Eldridge and I had been spotted twice by cops in the white car that day. We saw them looking at us and carrying on. I really felt that they shot Bobby Hutton thinking they were shooting me. Mm. I was mad 
I knew Huey had said that we didn't believe in spontaneous riots, but I was so mad at that point that I felt that I was going to tell all those people at the rally the next day to turn Oakland upside down. Mm. I was going to tell every black person who came to the rally to tear up the town. I was going to tell them to hit the big man, the big time businesses, businessman's business. That's what I was going to tell them. I kept thinking about the fact that Huey had said no spontaneous riots, but I felt differently with Bobby Hutton dead. The feeling that they thought they were killing me and instead they murdered little Bobby Hutton. Maybe I shouldn't have felt that way. And that's what I was thinking. Next morning, I went over to Gary's office, the police station where we had a press conference where Gary went to visit. I went to visit Huey at the county jail in Oakland. Huey sent a tape back, told me to remember to tell the people not to riot, but to tell them to organize themselves, that the cops occupy our community like a foreign troop, and that we have a right by the Constitution of the United States to have guns and weapons in our homes. He urged me to tell them not to spontaneously riot, because that's not the correct method, because all it will do would get 50 or 100 Black people killed maybe 200 wounded and thousands arrested as in riots in the past. He said he had to think of the safety of our people, even when brothers were murdered, like brother Bobby Hutton was murdered. He said, I knew that and shouldn't act on emotions, but should act on the correct methods of the struggle. Oh yeah. So to, to the original point of like the lack of safety and the difficulty in the decisions that were being made. Uh, I just thought that spoke to it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, restraint and grace are one of our greatest gifts as a people. And, um, and to, you know, to hold tight in very tense situations where revenge is like burning at, at you know, at all of your instincts. And Huey knew that because he knew the retribution would be even 10 times, old, you know, tenfold worse. Right. I mean, and and before that, there's a whole section where Bobby knows he's being hunted. Right. Where mm. like he get he beats his case. He goes home and there's cops swarming his neighborhood and they're not there to arrest him again. That's the they're trying to catch him. Yeah, they're That's, trying to catch him. Yeah. Catch they're him trying slipping. to do the Fred thing, too. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. he sneaks out of his his window. He he goes to a friend's house, gets a haircut immediately, changes clothes, like puts on glasses, corners somebody else, gets a ride somewhere else, um, and sneaks off, like basically. Mm -hmm. uh, but like they weren't even ducking arrest. They were ducking hit squads. Yeah. They were cops. That's like, how dangerous it was. Yeah. Yeah. But a steady hand makes a strong fist. I don't mm -hmm. think the Black Panther Party showed us that. That's, yeah. That's the legacy, and uh, we all, you know, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Thank you for your time. Thank you for, for being with me. No doubt. Everybody, support the WNBA playoffs. Yeah, they're going strong. We're getting to the final soon. Right.